Get ready to hear something good about cannabis. Nurse Heather brings her eternal optimism and professional expertise to the stories of the day, discussing current topics and events, making life's lemons into sweet lemonade, and sharing a tall glass with guests, friends, and her listeners. CannabisRadio.com is happy to present Good News with Nurse Heather, the show infused with compassion and love. From high atop Mount Soledad in beautiful San Diego, California, 100 feet above sea level, dear friends, welcome to Good News with Nurse Heather. This is Nurse Heather's trusty sidekick, Canna Kenny, sometimes I'm called. And today we have an exceptional and important guest, Nurse Heather, and he's going to talk about C-words. C-words? Yeah, C-words. We'll leave that as a little bit of surprise. Some of our listeners, of course, will know that one C stands for cannabis, but the other C may stand for something else. But before we do that, Nurse Heather, I wanted to introduce our our listeners for the first time to you because you are the leading clinical expert in the use of cannabis for multiple different medical conditions. And you've been doing that since you became a nurse over 10 years ago. And so welcome our listeners to the show, please. Hello, our lovely listeners. It's such a pleasure to be here with you again to share the good news about cannabis. Uh, Our topic today is really exciting for me because we're going to talk a little bit about post-traumatic stress disorder. And you know, Kenny, I'm I'm a psych nurse. That's my background. And I come from New Mexico, which happens to be the state that added post-traumatic stress disorder as a qualifying condition uh, for the first time. They were the first state to do so. And and I come from there, so I knew no better than to think that it was any way else and realized that many, many, many of our medical cannabis patients in New Mexico had received their medical cannabis licenses um, for post-traumatic stress disorder. At the time, it was about 70% of our patient population had their cannabis card because they suffered from post-traumatic stress disorder. And so as you know, I've worked with a whole lot of post-traumatic stress disorder patients, including veterans, women who have experienced abuse and lots of other various reasons for the diagnosis. But, you know, really the the heart of it for me was I had a patient who at the time when he came to be with us and and utilize our services for safe access for cannabis, he was 28 years old and a veteran who had served in Iraq and Afghanistan. And he was a really tough case, I'm not going to lie. You know a little bit about PTSD, Kenny. Some of those patients can be a little difficult to deal with from time to time. Absolutely, yeah. And it's hard for them because they're in so much pain. And I really love this patient. We got attached. And for a couple of years, um, I worked really hard to make sure we had the appropriate strains for him. And I really tried to make sure that he was cared for appropriately. And because he's, he suffered a traumatic brain injury, post-traumatic stress disorder, tinnitus, and many other things, um, the traumatic brain injury left him not having a very good memory. And so when he would come in, I would say, hey, Tyler, your card's expiring in in three months. You might want to get it renewed. And uh, then two months it would come in and I tell him the same thing. And that final month I said, you have 30 days, Tyler, get your application in. And unfortunately he came in one day, didn't have his 
license renewed and I was unable to provide safe access to the medicine that was so vital to his well-being. And I was in a position, Kenny. I was I was in a position, do I do I do something that goes against the law or do I follow the rules? And as you know, I'm a nurse and I follow the rules and I followed the rules that day. And I sent him away not being able to provide that access. And unfortunately, three weeks later, I received a phone call uh, from his family and Tyler had committed suicide. And I, I knew that had he been able to have safe access to that quality medicine that he so vitally needed, that we could have potentially you know, prolonged or saved his life. And so I have been known to say that when it comes to post-traumatic stress disorder, cannabis can literally save lives because I've, I've seen that. But uh, that's my New Mexico side of the story. But I'm going to let you talk a little bit about Arizona because a few years later, I came and spent some time with you in Arizona. And unfortunately, they didn't have PTSD as a qualifying condition at that time. Well, and thanks to the guest who that I'm going to introduce here now, uh, Arizona became one of the first states to adopt uh, a qualifying condition for PTSD. The man at the helm who allowed that to happen is going to be our guest today, but he deserves a more formal introduction. While our paths haven't crossed a lot, our guest has a, has a uh, doctorate degree, honorary doctorate degree from the University of Arizona, where I graduated from back in 1975. And I was the one who started Spring Fling, which is a popular student carnival that's run every year, except probably this year, but uh, in Tucson, Arizona, at the University of Arizona, and the proceeds of that are used to fund all kinds of important programs that they couldn't otherwise pay for. But our guest today is from Arizona. His name is Will Humble. He's currently the Director of Marketing and Public Relations and Executive Director for the Arizona Public Health Association. His 30 years in public health included more than two decades at the Arizona Department of Health Services, where he served in various capacities, including as the agency director from 2009 to 2015. Most recently, he served as health policy director at the University of Arizona from 2015 to 2017. He continues to be involved in health policy in his role with the AZPHA and the adjunct faculty with the University of Arizona's College of Public Health. It is indeed an honor, Will, to welcome you to Good News with Nurse Heather. <clears throat> and I'd like to get your first impressions and general overview of the period of time that you were serving as uh, with the Arizona Department of Health Services as their director and how you ushered in medical marijuana for Arizona and what you think of now, looking back about 10 years, where that program has gone. Yeah, well, thanks for the invitation. Uh, first of all, it's my pleasure to be here today. Um, you know, I, uh, I actually... <laughs> Of, of, I was in that health director job for about six years, and we accomplished a lot during those years. Uh, you know, we overhauled the regulations for assisted living and skilled nursing in hospitals. You know, we, uh, we changed the way we approached the Arizona State Hospital in terms of therapeutics. We, we worked really hard to exit the Arnold versus Sarn lawsuit, which is about behavioral health services through Medicaid uh, and, and other really important things during those years. But honestly, uh, I look when I look back now in retrospect, I think our implementation of the Arizona Medical Marijuana Act is one of the things that I'm actually most proud of. And I don't think I recognized that at the time. You know, when you're in the middle of 
implementing a program like that, you're, there's so many logistical things that you try to figure, work through, like how do you get the website up in time so that you got the tracking system to the administrative code, to dealing with the people in the governor's office, to, uh, you know, working with patients, uh, to making all kinds of decisions. And now if I look back in retrospect and I see what the program looks like 10 years after we implemented, I think it's something to be proud of. Uh, you know, one of our guiding principles through the entire implementation process was to keep it honest. And by that, I mean, you know, the, the, the Arizona Medical Marijuana Act was, uh, you know, was sold to the people of Arizona as a medical program. And I was committed to delivering just that, a medical marijuana program and not a recreational one. And so as we went through the regulations, we tried to build some checks and balances in the system to ensure that it stayed a medical system. That was why one of the reasons why we included medical directors as a requirement of dispensaries, why we prohibited those medical directors from writing certifications. It's why we included the set of attestations that the physician makes as before he or she writes a certification for medical marijuana in Arizona. Um, it, it, all the way through the process, we tried our best to keep it a medical program. And I'll just be honest with you, we got I got beat up a lot for that because there were some advocates that believed that we were shortchanging the public in Arizona because we were too stringent and trying to keep it a medical program. But I, I think we hit the right mark. And I think the folks in the industry today, and I think the patients that are out there in Arizona now, I think by and large recognize that we weren't perfect, but we made some pretty good decisions. Well, um, it was almost an unenviable position in the sense that you're a true progressive and a very intellectual person, and you were kind of sandwiched between the hard right on the right that didn't want any medical cannabis program and the more liberal on the other side who wanted it to be even more wide open. But looking back on it in hindsight, I want to say that you navigated those waters beautifully and commendable. Can we talk about PTSD for a sec? Because we talked about that at the top. That's a good example. Of Can we, let's do that right after our break. Okay. And that the first thing we're going to go into is, is a very important topic. But dear listeners, stay with us. This is good news with Nurse Heather. We have an extraordinary professional and man with us, Will Humble. We'll see you on the other side of the break. Good News with Nurse Heather will return, but first, let's show some love to our sponsors. Elevate your every day with that Shuggies feeling, with the sweet taste of Shuggies. Add a cup of Shuggies to your morning coffee. Ah, how sweet it is. Shuggies infuses cannabis and cane sugar to make it the perfect sweetener with benefits. Make your happy hour happier with a dunk of Shuggies in your drink. Order your Shuggies now at S-H-O-O-G-I-E-S dot com or find it in dispensaries throughout California. Whenever you crave a little sweet, pick up Shuggies, the sweet, sweet, take-anywhere treat. Fetch your earbuds and stay tuned for some pure pet care conversation. Hi, it's Angela Ardolino with It's a Dog's Life, and I have Hernanda Umana joining me. We're just both so fascinated with how much we've learned since we've been in this pet industry and creating an all-natural product. Because it's a dog's life. I am a huge fan of my guest today, Dr. Bob Goldstein. I have, in my experience, not seen many natural substances produce the results 
that CBD is producing in the animals that we are testing on. It's a dog's life with Angela Ardolino, only on Cannabis Radio. Hey, take a look at this. They're selling smart pots. <laughs> they have pot that can make you smart? Where is it? Not that kind of pot. Smart pots are the best aeration container to grow your plants. Check this out. This is the original fabric container for faster producing, healthier plants. They're made with a superior fabric that delivers high yields. Plus, smart pots are reusable and sustainable, so you can use them over and over again, no matter if you use them indoor or outdoor. That's very smart, but how good are they for the environment? Smart pots are BPA free and lead free, so you'll always be able to ensure a pure, clean grow, and they're 100% made in the U.S. Over 28 million smart pots have already been sold so it seems like a smart investment. Look for smart pots in close to 2,000 garden centers throughout North America and ask for the original fabric container. Find a store near you or order yours online at smartpots.com. Nurse Heather is back to spread some more good news only on CannabisRadio.com. We're back, beautiful listeners, and... uh... We'll go ahead. You were just getting ready to give us the, your information on PTSD, which was literally the next question Nurse Heather was going to ask. Yeah, so I'll, I'll be brief about it. So uh, we, you know, as part of the Arizona Medical Marijuana Act, people can, uh, and we wrote the rules so that people could uh, apply to add medical conditions to the list of qualifying um, uh, uh, conditions that patients have. And we had, for probably three or four years, every six months, we got a new application in asking us to add PTSD to the list of qualifying conditions. And, and I, Nurse Heather was there at some of these meetings and we'd have hearings on it. And uh, one of the principles that I adhered to, and I think it's an important one, is to, is to require peer-reviewed data before we were to make a decision like that to add a qualifying condition to the list. And so for Several years, we would get applications in, but those applications lacked a quality publication demonstrating that uh, that marijuana or cannabis extracts were uh, useful for PTSD patients. And there were plenty of anecdotal stories, but I was looking for something that was published in the literature. And finally, as I think it was in 2014. There was a publication actually out of it was either United University of Mexico or New Mexico State that uh, looked, it was actually published in a journal. It was a well done study. It wasn't a huge N. I mean, there was a number of patients they looked at. It wasn't thousands, but it was enough to make it statistically significant. And that was the study that I needed um, to convince myself that I was doing the right thing by adding PTSD to the list. And so that's, and that's what we did. And so that happened in 2014, um, but I got beat up plenty in 2012, 13, and earlier in 14 for not adding it to the list. But I wanted to stick with the data as a guiding principle and, and look to the peer-reviewed literature to drive the decision-making that we made in the program. We were trying to get that to you, Will. I know I was part of the application process, and it's so unfortunate how the um, the research is is kind of bottlenecked in the United States. And, you know, we kept trying to get that research. And I knew when George Greer, who's the author of the study that you're referencing, when we knew before he was published, but he had been approved and accepted for publication. And we brought these studies and, and 
you know, bless you for being, for sticking to your guns. Cause we were saying, but it's here, Will, it's here. And you said, as soon as it's published, we'll be able to take a look at it. So I'm really grateful for all that you did to um, go the extra mile to make sure that it was safe for patients. And as soon as we had that data and research, um, we, we made sure that you had eyes on it too. And I just commend you both because both of you in your own way <clears throat> made a big difference in the lives of many veterans. And frankly, we know from studies that the majority of those who suffer from PTSD are generally female. And a lot of that has to do with uh, domestic battery and, and those kinds of issues. And we know in this post-COVID era that that PTSD level is going to go through the roof. Yeah, definitely. Well, and I did want to say one other thing um, that I'm really proud of us, Will. I'm, I'm proud of what we did in Arizona because what we saw, because it was so stringent in Arizona, because we had to go through and make sure that these peer-reviewed um, studies were were published and we were... the the information being produced was so scrutinized. You know, one of the wonderful things that happened was that the other states, there were many other states that said, well, if Arizona did it, it must be safe. And so we really set the bar well with what we were doing in Arizona and allowed, as Ken said, for access, not only in Arizona, but in other states to be able to say, well, if it's safe enough for Arizona, we'll add it to our list too. I thought I'd also ask now, Will, it, it's, you're, you're a pioneer, obviously, in starting the medical cannabis program and have all this experience. And I'm just interested in your perspective, you know, your 2020 hindsight on the 10 years that Arizona has a program leading into now, I think your advocacy in Mississippi for their program. Uh, tell us about that. Yeah, so uh, uh, Mississippi caught with me before the pandemic, I think it was in December, and they were talking to me about how they have a voter initiative underway in Mississippi. And I asked them to, I said, tell me a little bit about it. They asked me to consult on it. I said, look, I, I just, I'm, I'm too busy to do any consultation. I don't want to sign a contract, but I'll help you however I can. And so, um, you know, so I read over what they have. I, I thought it looked like a great framework. And so they asked me to come out to Mississippi and they did, we did a little press conference out there in Mississippi. And I met with the, uh, so the media came out to that. And uh, I also met with the state health director who was pretty skeptical about, he, he doesn't want the, well, well, how should I say this? Um, when you're in that health director job, as I was, uh, one of the things that you want to make sure that you do is to focus on those things that you see as your current priorities in your state. And I think one of the things that is on the mind of any health director is making sure that whatever assignments they get, that it's in what their, what their core mission is. And I, so I think there was some, uh, I think, reluctance on the part of the officials over there. Not reluctance, but not exactly enthusiastic about looking to the prospect of implementing a medical marijuana program. And I, here's what I told him is that, look, I was the same as you. I in 2009 and 10, I was not super enthusiastic about implementing this in Arizona. But I had, I told him, I said, you know, you're going to learn a lot. Um, you will. Uh, it will take a lot of your effort, and it will talk, take a lot of your resources within the agency. But when you get to the other side of it, it might surprise. I think it will surprise you how much uh, good you see that it does. 
and how good you feel about the fact that you implemented a good, uh, a, a responsible program. So, um, and then I offered, uh, if it does pass, to help uh, coach them as an as an agency in terms of how to think through uh, building the regulations, et cetera. So uh, I, I hope it was helpful and uh, I'm glad to help because I think it's, uh, I'm a believer now, which, and as you probably remember, I was not a believer in 2010. Well, it's amazing because, you know, and besides, I, I like grits with butter. So when you get down to Mississippi, you know, be sure to have it the way you like it down there with a nice Southern drawl. But you're quite correct in that the uh, over a period of time, I, I'm curious about how your thinking has changed in terms of utilizing cannabis, not necessarily as a drug, because in California, of course, it's neither a food nor a drug, it's an agricultural commodity, but utilizing it, whether it's in its raw form or decarboxylated, for general health benefits. What's, how has your thinking evolved on that? Well, to be honest, I didn't know hardly, I mean, here's the thing. I was in that agency position, agency director position in Arizona. I got that job in 2009. The voter initiative passed in November of 10. And to just, I, I'll just be quite honest with you. I don't know hardly anything about what cannabis does, how it was effective, the different forms. I, I you know, I'm just a public health guy. Um, I know a lot of stuff about vaccines and the emergency medical system and behavioral health and, uh, you know, uh, HIV and epidemiology and the stuff we're going through with COVID, that's my wheelhouse. I just didn't know that much about it. And, and, and my initial thinking in 2010 in November was, I'll just be honest with you, I thought this is a nuisance that I had all these things that I wanted to accomplish in the public health system. And I didn't want to use the time and effort of myself and my agency staff to put together a medical marijuana program. That was before the election. But once the voters of Arizona said, we want a medical marijuana program, I said, I'm all in. And I learned a lot in those early years, those early months, especially, um, about uh, what medical marijuana can do for patients, um, responsible ways of implementing the program. Fortunately, you know, Arizona was, I think, the 14th state to get a medical marijuana program. And so we had some other states that we could look to as mentors, Colorado being probably the biggest one. Um, and, and, you know, so we just, we went through the process and I learned a lot over that first uh, year in 2011 and 2012. And, you know, and, and just the more I heard from patients about the benefits that they, uh, the, the benefits that they found by using various extracts of, of cannabis, I just began to you know, be more and more of a believer. Outstanding. So <clears throat> there we have it on the record. Will Humble, a passionate, passionate, enthusiastic supporter of medical cannabis. By the way, have you ever referred a friend to try medical cannabis because of a health condition they might have had? Uh, indirectly. Yeah, actually, friends of friends. Um, yeah. Not Fair particular, case. not individual doctors, just uh, to say, you know, uh, it's it this might be something you find useful. Well, dear listeners, we're going to take a short break. We're going to come back with our last segment. We're going to bring out the C word, the second C word, and talk to someone who's been on the news rather frequently, in fact, on the Rachel Maddow show and other places. And so take a listen to some of the messages in between, and we'll be back right after the break. Good News with Nurse Heather will return, but first, let's show some love to our sponsors. 
Doc Rob, the concierge for better living. My guests say Razzy Berry. We're talking about nature, naturopathic medicine, as well as the concept of prevention and preventing disease. Empower people to live a naturopathic lifestyle. Get to know your body, understand its rhythms, remove toxins, and use natural alternatives whenever possible. 90 to 95% of cancers are due to environment and lifestyle risk factors. That's a huge number. That means that cancer is preventable. The Concierge for Better Living with Doc Rob. Only on CannabisRadio.com. Oh, let the marijuana llama tell you something now. About a game for your phone, gonna make you say, wow! The game's about the game of growing cannabis for cash. Grow the seeds, sell the bud, put the savings in the stash. Little by little, your empire grows large. Put different celebrities inside your entourage. You can choose to play with Snoop or me or Cheech and Chong. Cypress Hill, Willie Nelson, Wiz Khalifa with a bong. The name of the game is him pink, that's the point. Download and play while you light yourself a joint. The business of cannabis should be no crime. Hemp Inc. is even hot-proofed by the man who run high times. Oh yeah, get it on Android and I and iOS today. Marijuana Llama out. Got to tend to me on crap, you know. Money don't make itself. Hemp Inc. Welcome to Cannabis Confidential. I'm your host, Dr. Dina. We've got David Faustino on the line. Bud Bundy from Married with Children. Did you feel nervous being a celebrity walking into a weed store? I don't remember it all being like, ooh, I'm scared someone's going to take my picture here. What are they going to say? Bud Bundy smokes Bud? I mean, come on. (laughs) (laughs) It wouldn't be a big shocker. Hey, this is David Faustino, and I'm on Cannabis Confidential with my girl, Dr. Dina, on CannabisRadio.com. Nurse Heather is back to spread some more good news. Only on CannabisRadio.com. Welcome back, beautiful listeners. We are here again with our special guest, the Honorable Will Humble, who has been just uh, uh, very enlightening to hear what you've had to say today, Will. But now I'm going to ask you, shift gears a little bit to the other C word, COVID. Um, And I've seen you already and listened to you, and you're extraordinarily intelligent and articulate on the subject. What, What concerns do you see in the attempts by Governor Ducey, let's say, or, or President Trump to kind of adjust how the CDC gathers facts, interprets their numbers, and then tells us solid policies that we can live by with COVID. Well, here's what I'll say about that. Um, you know, I've been in public health for decades, 30 years. And the North Star for public health has always been this Center for Disease Control and Prevention. They have a stellar reputation the staff there are uh, super, um, what can I say, uh, really committed professionals to both academic excellence and public health excellence. They're committed to good, solid evidence-based policy. And I've seen many directors come and go and many administrations come and go, but the CDC was always the CDC. And in the last few months, and I, you know, I'm not going to say since the whole Trump administration, but really since COVID-19, I'll say that I've seen a real cultural shift in the confidence that the public health system has in CDC. And it's, I'm sorry to say that. It's really a sad thing to say, but I think their brand has really taken a hit over the last three years. I just, just, uh, just today, just this morning, actually, 
Um, you know, there was a change in their recommendations around who should get tested when they're a contact. And so for, for you know, since the beginning of the pandemic, the CDC had recommended that if you are a close contact of a case, that you should that you're, that you should get tested uh, because there's so much asymptomatic spread with this virus. That's a key element in you know controlling the virus. And they changed that guidance to say, in fact, that that's not the case and not you don't necessarily need to get tested if you're a close contact. Well, that flies in the face of basic public health practice. Um, that's just one of the examples where we've seen uh, guidance come out that's just simply not evidence based. And it's, it's, it's sad to see. Now, I will say there was a Twitter storm after that. My tweets and Tom Frieden, who's the former CDC director, uh, challenged CDC on that, uh, on what they put out. And, and to their credit, they made some adjustments to it within a few hours. Uh, but there, is, there are newspaper reports that suggest that that initial change uh, came right out of the White House. And that's, not, that's something that I have never seen happen with CDC in my 30 years. Maybe it has happened behind the scenes, but this is the first time that in the last few months where I've seen actual policy changes from, you know, uh, from high up in HHS to that overturn what CDC says. Uh, I don't know what else to say about it. I, I, I hope it, uh, uh, well, I, we I appreciate you speaking out about it because you're, we're having to leverage all of the, mistruths, half-truths, and deliberate lies that keep coming from the White House or directed certainly by the White House. It's the only conclusion that you can make that flies in the face of science. And many of our listeners may not realize, but the science of public health and epidemiology, this is an American science. You know, We are originals when it comes to helping develop that whole body of work. And you're the truth teller. And we need the truth tellers out there to hopefully overcome the noise from the guys that are lying. Don't you think? Well, I, I appreciate the compliment. I, 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 now, I will say, I don't know how much more time we have left, but I do want to say, um, you know, so much of the decision making uh, on the effect, so much of the, the effectiveness of a response really has to do with the decisions that governors make. And, um, and that's where I think I've, focus most of my attention rather than on the national scale, but really doing advocacy here in Arizona to try to keep the, uh, to try to keep evidence front and center as the governor makes decisions about interventions as we progress through this pandemic. Uh, one of the things that we have seen about this virus is that it responds very quickly to bad policy decisions. And yes. we saw some of those in Arizona and other states have seen the same thing. And it comes down to making sure that you are taking a clear focus on uh, those evidence-based practices that slow the virus, front and center being face coverings. For many, many weeks, our governor was actually prohibiting cities and counties from putting in place an ordinance to require face coverings within their jurisdiction. Um, he finally relented at the end of June, and, as, and that is one of the reasons why we've seen such a dramatic improvement in Arizona. So it's, it's, it's about, you know, it's, it's a simple principle, which is to let evidence inform decisions. 
And it was certainly refreshing to see you when I, I saw you for the first time on a news show. I had to run in and say, Canna Kenny, guess who's on TV right now? Hurry, Will Humble's on there and he's speaking truth. So it was really good news for me to, to actually hear you and um, know that you were continuing your good work, uh, even here with this COVID situation. Will Humble, thank you, thank you, thank you. Keep up the good work. Stay healthy. Be blessed. Uh, we're rooting you on as you uh, get the message out on this on both the C topics. And beautiful listeners, this has been Good News with Nurse Heather. Please check out Good Nurse on CannabisRadio.com, Apple, Stitcher, all kinds of places. Just Google Good News with Nurse Heather. Thank you very much. See you at our next show. Thanks, Nurse Heather. Thanks, Will. The opinions expressed on this CannabisRadio.com program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of CannabisRadio.com. Any rebroadcast or redistribution without proper consent of CannabisRadio.com is prohibited.